Today on the Nolan Knows Podcast, my guest is a former soccer player at Stanford University who went on to achieve her master's at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and now works for one of the fastest growing software companies in the world. We talk about her life after collegiate athletics and how she found her place in the ever-competitive technology industry. She's humble, smart, and also happens to be my roommate. This is Megan Turner, everyone. Welcome, everybody, to the No One Knows podcast, coming at you live from the studios in TV Santa Barbara. It is Tuesday, June 4th, and my special guest today is Megan Turner, who's taking some time out of her day, left work a little early, so I'm sure you're uh, in a better mood about that, but how are you, Megan? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to bring you on, and I had Jerice Blackman on about a month ago, and the theme we were sort of going for is this life after collegiate athletics. And for those who do not know, Megan played D1 soccer at Stanford University. She did that all four years. She now works for Procore Technologies, which is one of the biggest software companies in the world in construction software management. And I wanted to ask you, you know, about how you go about life after college, how you go about being that D1 athlete but first, tell us kind of where you're from and, and let us know who you are. Yeah. Um, well, so I grew up in the Bay Area, specifically the very broad. East Bay. Uh, yeah, I tend to uh, narrow it down after a while because people who are familiar with the Bay Area always ask where from next. But um, I'm never really sure if I should scope it or not. But uh, specifically, I grew up in Danville of the East Bay. Um was there my entire childhood up until high school. Um, and yeah, it was basically just a normal childhood, pretty active, obviously, um, played a lot of sports, um, and then ended up going across the uh, peninsula to uh, Stanford for the next four years. So really a, a NorCal native for the first 22 years of my life. So something that I've always found interesting about you and your family, and I know your family pretty well, especially your brother. I went to school with your brother at UCSB, but he had let me know very early on that he was a triplet. And I thought, right, really? So I assumed he had maybe two other brothers, but the other two of you happened to be girls. So <laughs> how is growing up as a triplet, you know, the average person obviously can't understand that. I had just one sister and that was complicated enough. <laughs> and we were years apart, a couple years apart. So how is it growing up? in a household where you guys are pretty much all on the same experience in terms of what you're going through. Did that, do you think that helped you going on to the next level of college athletics? Did it make it more complicated? Was there always competition? Sure. Yeah. Um, there's a few things. So a lot of people ask me, you know, what's, what's it like being a triplet? And, uh, it's really difficult to answer that question because, you don't I know don't know any way. different. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's like me asking someone else, what's it like growing up, uh, you know, the only kid um, in your family who is in one grade and you don't have people next to you going to um, the next grade with you or the next experience with you. So, yeah, it to me, it's completely normal. Um, in terms of growing up, there was a lot of friendly competition, to say the least. Um, my family definitely is very competitive. Um, we're very close for sure, but, uh, we definitely do, you know, poke each other's buttons. Um, I'm actually the 
oldest of us three um, specifically wanted to call that out here. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I definitely hold it above them, um, especially if there's, you know, certain privileges or whatnot of the older child. I, I definitely, um, you know, hold them accountable to that a couple a couple minutes ahead. Um, but yeah, I think that my transition to um, Stanford specifically without both my brother and my sister going um, to the same college as me was really, really difficult. I mean, it was a different experience um, for the longest time, especially because um, I had a sister that did a lot of extracurricular activities with me, did a lot of new experiences, and um, we even had the same friends. It was always um, nice to have kind of that comfort zone next to you, um, someone, you know, that you can lean on, you've known for a while. I didn't really have to experience anything individually um, at such a great scale until I, you know, went to college. So um, definitely something that's difficult. I, of course, I would not change it for the world. Um, you know, I love being a triplet. It's it's a lot of fun that probably a lot of siblings don't get to experience. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think there's pros and cons to it for sure. Yeah. So give us kind of an idea. The majority of people who follow sports. I think primarily, number one, male sports, and number two, the people we follow throughout the recruitment process is going to be a lot of those in football, going to the NCAA, and then going to the NFL and the draft, and then you have basketball where we see these kids when they're 10, 12 years old, and we know right away that they're probably going to go to the next level, some of them even just staying one year at a university like the Zion Williamson's of the world. So I don't think anyone really knows the recruitment process of soccer, specifically women's soccer. So give us an idea of when you knew you could make it to that next level. And what was that process like for you growing up and trying to decide where you were going to college? Yeah, totally. Um, so obviously I started playing soccer when I was very young. Um, it, I loved playing soccer, uh, but I also did a lot of other sports um, growing up, up until about eighth grade I was playing basketball softball track and field uh, lacrosse I tried out there was a lot of other sports teams that I participated on uh, but when I started getting to high school um, things took up more time school was more of a priority um, I focus I liked some of sports more than I liked others um, so really at that turning point of graduation or promotion from eighth grade to high school um I started focusing more on soccer. It was it was the most fun for me. Um, I, I think I was the best at it out of all the sports I played. Um, and so really, um, I, I dropped all my other sports and um, transitioned into high school and started focusing on it more. Um, but still at that point, I, I really didn't know that, you know, collegiate soccer was, was in the picture. I was um, really just focusing on my club team. Um, I think it was sophomore year, actually, when I went to go play in a tournament in Las Vegas with my club team. And uh, during that tournament, there were many college coaches that uh, come and watch younger younger high school players um, play in their games. And, uh, and this is for your club team, not your high school team. This is for your club team. Yeah. So uh, that's another point. There's not a lot of uh, uh, recruitment through high school soccer, at least in the NorCal Bay Area. Um, 
high school soccer is sometimes looked at as like um, a respite from club soccer, something you do for fun to support your high school um, play for, you know, something with school spirit. Um, but really most of the recruitment and, um, you know, watching of games by college coaches is done at the club level and specifically at soccer tournaments, big soccer tournaments over the summer and in the early fall. Um, so yeah, basically I, I went to a bunch of these tournaments and that, that one tournament my sophomore year was when I first got interest from college coaches. Um, it really wasn't outbound. It was more inbound. I was just going to a tournament with my team to play some games, have some fun. Um, and that really like introduced me to the possibility that playing in college could be an option. Um, it something to note, I think, is my recruiting experience was actually a bit late in the process. Um, as a sophomore. As a sophomore, yeah. And uh, actually the recruiting process is getting earlier and earlier on in women's soccer. Um, there are girls, I think, right now that are committed at like eighth grade, ninth grade. Uh, so even, you know, a few years back when I was getting recruited, sophomore year was relatively late. Most uh, girls are committed, you know, junior year, early junior year, maybe a little later in junior year. Um, but really you don't commit ever in senior year, you should know where you're going, have things set in stone, have verbal commitments with schools. Um, yeah, so it was, it was really a, a kind of like unique experience, I guess, in, in the sense of recruitment for women's soccer. Um, so what are they telling you throughout this process? Are these head coaches coming up to you at these club soccer tournaments and saying, hey, we'd like you to come play with us? When did Stanford reach out? And were there any other, uh, you know, competitors going after you essentially to try to get you to go did, did was there a place you almost went to besides stanford yeah totally um so there's one thing to know is there's a few rules about recruitment um coaches can't talk to you until a certain date on a certain year i'm not even familiar with them now i'm clearly far removed from that um so it was more of um, I was getting messages from my club coach who had spoken to college coaches that, you know, these, these schools are interested in you. You should reach out. You should try to go visit them. Um, you can talk to coaches through in person or something like that. Um, there's, there's a lot of rules around it. So, uh, it was less so coaches coming up to me. It was more, um, word of mouth through my club coach. And then, um, I guess during that sophomore year, right after I got a bunch of interest, I started to, uh, look a little deeper into the schools that interested me. You know, it has to be a, a, a two-way street. Um, and so I, I started looking into uh, some schools, going on some visits. I went to University of Oregon. I went to UCLA. Um, I got to meet a lot of the girls on the team. Um, but Stanford specifically uh, hadn't seen me play until I think it was my early junior year. And now we're getting really, really late in the recruitment process. Um, so people are signing every day to go to these schools. There's verbal commitments and media going out about all these, um, you know, prospects and recruits signing with big colleges and um, will be class of 2017, 2018. And it keeps um, getting further away. Um, but 
Stanford really saw me at a, a specific tournament, Surf Cup, which is a really, really large um, soccer tournament for girls and boys. Um, and I was playing against actually one of my really good friends now, uh, Maddie Bauer, who was already committed to Stanford. Um, the Stanford coach, Paul, was was watching our game. Um, and I remember that actually very vividly because uh I knew he was going to be there. I was playing center forward against Maddie, who was a center back that was already going to Stanford. Um, and yeah, basically it was the game of my life, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, it really like spelled out what, what was in the books for me um, going forward. Um, so that was really where Stanford first uh, saw me, expressed interest, and then um, the process kind of took off from there. Uh, I think I always knew uh, Stanford would be an awesome place to go to school. I don't know if I ever believed I could uh, make it happen, but it it worked out. <laughs> yeah, I think from an educational standpoint, obviously, Stanford would be at the top of the list of the, the schools that you talked to. Throughout the recruiting process, was there anything else about Stanford in particular where you knew deep down, this is where I want to go, this is where I can see myself over the next four years, and were you only thinking about soccer or were you looking at things in the big picture of what comes after? Because a lot of people, I think, get tunnel vision with it and they're just focused on the immediate. Um, and, I, and a lot of athletes, if they have the ability to view the school as more than just what's on the court or the field, then they can gain so much more out of it. So what was your really final moment where you said, this is where I'm going? Yeah, I don't think I ever... Uh, thought too deeply about you know what is that next step like what else do I want after college um, I think that might have been a little bit of ignorance of a high schooler but uh, obviously in hindsight I'd say yeah of course um, I think a lot of people think of Stanford and it's it's at like the top tier of athletic and academic um, excellence which is always something that's attractive um, but for me I think more so the reason why I was really attracted to Stanford was that it was very close to home for me. It's 45 minutes an hour away from where I grew up. It was comfortable. It's a beautiful campus. Um, it's beautiful weather, like great facilities, obviously great academics. So it was really more of the whole package type of school. Um, I think I would be, uh, yeah, I think I would be a little misleading if I said, you know, I was really looking to get that education and you know have that Stanford degree and go get like a great job um I don't think I had any knowledge <laughs> of that when I was in high school well that's the thing is so many of you guys are making these decisions when you're 15 16 years old and it's going to not only shape your college life but so much after college and we're expected to make these decisions at such a young age and you're expected to do it faster than everybody else who's applying from high school to colleges but like you said, you kind of got the full package with everything. I think, honestly, is a no-brainer to go there. <laughs> um, I've always said, you know, Stanford's like the Harvard of the West Coast, and it, it has that perfect blend of academics, athletics, the network you're going to make, the people you're going to meet. It's a slam dunk. So you wind up now at Stanford. <laughs> you're in your first year of college. And like you said, your whole life you've done everything with your siblings. Here you are by yourself. You had only known Maddie from the game you had played against for the most part. So what is that first year like? Were there challenges? Did you question if you had made the right decision? Was there a moment where you wanted to just go home and not do it anymore? Yeah, totally. Um, there's definitely a perk to playing soccer. Um, and what I mean by that is that it's a fall sport. 
for all of the universities across across the nation. Um, so because Stanford is a quarter school, um, we we start late September. Classes start late September, but because soccer games actually start mid-August, um, the entire soccer team is required to be on campus earlier in the summer. So we report, you know, end of July, beginning of August to uh, get a few weeks of training in before we have our first initial games and scrimmages and preseason matches. And I think that actually really benefited me uh, because what exists um, on campus during those few weeks is is basically just the soccer team and a few other sports that are also fall uh, fall season sports. And you get to know the campus. You get to know your team really well. You're basically... Um, living on campus, operating as you would with your athletic schedule without the classes. So it's really like an on-ramp into being able to um, transition to this new college life. Um, I think that really helped me in terms of transitioning away from having my siblings um, by my side during during basically my entire childhood. Um, it kind of gave me like an extra a family and friends to meet during that beginning, you know, month or so before the rest of the students came on campus and it made you feel when the rest of the students came on campus like you already had uh people in people in, on your sideline and basically um you knew people you knew the campus well you weren't like this lost freshman trying to figure out where to go you had upperclassmen that told you all these things you needed to know the, the show you the ropes how to like navigate everything um so it really helped me feel more comfortable um, and then apart from like the beginning of that year, there was definitely times that was very difficult. Uh, I think almost every freshman experiences some of those times where you're homesick or, you know, school is really hard and different than you expected it to be. It's different than high school classes are. Um, it's really hard to meet people and make friends like there's people that are different than you. So there are definitely times I think when it felt like your whole life was crashing in on you. Um, but I would say that it actually helped me to be part of that soccer team um, because you are basically family with them. And if things are going wrong in different parts of your life, like that's kind of the solid rock there. Um, so definitely like helpful that I had that team, helpful that I was close by to home if I ever needed to go there. Um, so I, I'd have to say that, yeah, it was it was easy to falter but like definitely uh had like that support to like get me back on my feet and stuff so give us a day in the life of a college athlete specifically you're in the fall so you've started playing games and you're how many times a week are you playing we play around two times a week okay, so you're playing twice a week you're practicing mm -hmm. i'm assuming nearly every day yep so give me you wake up and then NCAA released this video. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> yeah. And the guy's, you know, I'm a D1 athlete, and it's kind of <laughs> like this GoPro shot of him, and he's going through the daily motions, and a lot of people have come out and said, it is so much more difficult than that. You don't have a smile on your face the whole day. We have to manage so many things at once, and we're expected to also be a student. Um, so we are student athletes first. And let's be honest, half the time you were more athlete than student because yeah. you have to be to be at that level. So. True. What's your daily schedule like if you can try and give us an idea of what you did on a daily basis? Yeah, totally. Uh, actually, I'd, I would probably say that being in season was actually less time consuming than <laughs> being out of season. 
And the reason for that is um, (coughs) your team is not, you're not practicing as hard and for that long during those practice days in season because you have two games in a week. Um, You have to be, uh, you know, fully prepared for those games. Your practices are almost lighter during the week. We'd often have like one uh, pretty pretty difficult, pretty intense competitive practice on, on a Tuesday, have lighter practices on Wednesday, Thursday, play Friday, have a lighter practice on Saturday, Saturday, and then play Sunday again. So that was actually the easier part to manage. Of course, there's a lot of time consuming things that you have to do to prep for games. You had um, pregame, you had scouting, you had some videos you had to watch. Um, but that was actually less time consuming, I think. What the, the days that were, that were the hardest were actually in the off season where um, we had two a day workouts. So we'd wake up super, super early in the morning, um, have to be at, you know, the gym by 6 a.m., have 6 to 7.30 strength conditioning or um, being able to go out on the field and do some fitness. Um, then what we would often do is go back to our dorm, shower, um, go to training table, which is what they give us for food for being an athlete, which was really, really nice. Um, but oftentimes you had to check in there. Um, and then you're off to class during the middle of the day. Sometimes you go to office hours. There's a lot to handle and deal with in terms of, um, making sure you're on top of your schoolwork as any student would know. And then, you know, back in the afternoon at like one or two o'clock, you're back out on the soccer field practicing again. Um, and after the day's over, maybe you have class in the afternoon as well. Um, and then you're basically working on homework all day. So it kind of, um, it's a definitely a different feeling whether you're in season or out of season. Um, it definitely was harder not looking forward to games uh, when you were out of season. Um, but yeah, it, it felt different uh, depending on, you know, what type of type of like season you were in. Um, nonetheless, there was a lot to manage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, you guys have such a more specific, I think, rigid structure than the normal average college student. And something I told people is, you know, high school, you have this rigid scru- structure every single day, Monday through Friday. <clears throat> and you're taking, you know, six, seven classes, maybe you have PE, and then you go to practice after school. And then after practice, you got to go home, study, do homework, same thing every single day. But with college, I think it can actually be easier for some people because you do have more free time. Some people have classes maybe Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and they have Friday off. Or maybe they only have a section one of those days. Or maybe, you know, the instructor tells everyone to go home early. So there's a lot more free time, and there's a lot more time for people, I think, to, number one, get into trouble. Maybe, number two, go out and party and and have those types of, you know, adventures throughout college and experience different things. Whereas you guys sort of have this game plan set up for you so you were probably you know you're obviously always in good shape you're always well fed you have people around you that are making sure that you're held accountable so I think the d1 athlete although it is this strenuous schedule you guys have the upper hand in terms of working together with people and having people going through the exact same experiences that you're going through oh yeah I mean the fact that your day is um, structured already based on practice practice times themselves 
makes you um, very conscious of the other things that you fill your free time with. So um, obviously as a college student, you have a lot of classes to go to, you have a lot of homework to do, um, and you need to get that done in the free time that you have as a student athlete, which kind of weeds out a lot of those other things that you brought up, like what you can do with your free time. Um, So in some sense, it makes you more focused and like more, um, I guess, uh, determined to get the things that you were meant to do, um, going to college for both academics and athletics. Um, it gives you the structure to do those things. Um, of course, different athletes can make different decisions about what they do with their time. But at least for me, that was something that I really took into account that this is the things I want to do. Um, so it was, it was almost like if I know I have practice and I, I know I have these commitments that I have to get to, um, I need to use my other time to get the things that are most important to me done. Um, it obviously had trade-offs because you are having to say no to a lot of things that you maybe want to do. Um, but in the end, like it, it, you know, benefits you that like you got to where you wanted to be. Um, maybe it, you didn't get all the rainbows and butterflies that some other students did, but uh, you got a really cool experience to get to play for your school, your college, and uh, you also, you know, did all the academics, got a degree. Like, this is a really cool thing to talk about, and you got to experience it. Yeah, so I think a lot of college athletes, you know, they have this idea when they're younger of I want to go play professionally and I want to go into the league, and that's the next big thing I want to do. Let's be honest, 99% of D1 athletes do not. And those people, the stories aren't written about them. They're not the ones shown on the highlight reels. They're not the ones presented in the media. So there's a large group of people like you who go to a college, they commit to it, they give everything they possibly have to their specific university, and then there's a moment of they have to decide between the two. So was there a moment where you thought about playing professionally? I know your friends have. You have mm-hmm. multiple friends that have done that. Yep. Was that a, a, a choice for you, an option? Or did you know, I'm not going to play professionally? Um, it definitely could have been an option if I pursued it. I think there are, there are plenty of places where you can play professionally no matter what level you're at coming out of college. Um, a lot of, of course, people are very familiar with um, <clears throat> the, the, the league in the United States, but there are leagues abroad that people can go to and play professional soccer at. Um, I definitely thought about it for a little bit, but not as a, um, an end of my career type of thing. I was majorly thinking about um, using it as an experience, um, potentially, you know, uh, being able to play professional soccer is is a really cool thing to say you did. Um, it also allows you to like continue playing a formally organized sport that you really lose once you once you you know graduate and don't continue playing. Um, so I definitely thought about it in a sense of maybe I could use it to travel and live somewhere that I've never lived before. Um, maybe I could use it to go you know better my skills and make some new friends and have some new experiences. Um, but when it came down to it, I, I talked to a few people who were older than me that had done it. Um, there, I was just asking them questions about their experiences, you know, what they enjoyed about it, what they didn't. And I 
just kind of decided for myself that it's not something I really wanted to pursue. I had a lot of other interests outside of soccer. Um, while it was a huge part of my life growing up and also in college, it it seemed like it was more waning than, um, you know, something I wanted to continue doing. Uh, definitely miss it saying that, um, but there were a ton of other things that I wanted to do with my life and learn and go and explore. And um, so I decided, you know, this this wasn't really something I wanted to pursue, kind of, you know, dropped that option and uh, started looking at doing some other things after school. So you wrote an article, and this is on thecoinflip.com, and you guys can find this. We'll put a link on it as well, and you can read it, that Meg wrote. And it's entitled, How I Overcame My Resume's Laugh lack of experience to work at Procore, the perfect place for a former athlete. And in it, you said, quote, surrounded by classmates and friends who were actively interviewing for job positions and seemingly securing job offers left and right, I felt discouraged. How did they know which type of jobs to apply for? And once they received an interview, what were they saying and doing that impressed the interviewer to an extend an offer, end quote. So you're being very honest here. And I think that's great that you're being so transparent because here you are this collegiate athlete and you've accomplished so much you're at an outstanding university but you just like myself when I was entering graduation and every other (laughs) kid out there we have this idea in our head of what we want to do what we want the end result to be but maybe the process isn't something we're devoted to maybe it's not what we thought and then we realize we're human like everyone else and everyone's competing to get into the workforce so this discouragement is obviously very real And I think, you know, you were smart enough to realize that, okay, I'm capable. I've made it this far. This doesn't mean I can't continue to do it. I just have to figure it out step by step. So you decide to then go and pursue your master's, which is fantastic, at UCSB, where I went. And I had never met you before. I had met your sister, but I had never met you. And I knew Matt from college. We had spent four years together. And he had reached out to me and said, hey, my sister's going to come do the master's program with me. Do you want to live with us? I thought, okay, I like Matt. And if his sister's anything like him, then I'm sure I'll like her as well. And <laughs> he had bragged about you being the you know, Stanford soccer player. But oh gosh. I didn't know you were this discouraged. I thought maybe the whole time you had viewed going and getting your master's. But you, know, you go and do it with your brother. How did that decision come about? And how did your discouragement change to, I'm going to go get this master's degree because this is what I want? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think you said it in the very beginning. I think everyone, regardless if you have um, internship experiences or a student athlete background, feels like they're uh, never going to find a job or don't know what they want to do. So have no like um, guidance on where to start. So I think that I didn't understand at all. I, it seemed to me that apart from my you know friends that I confided in more um it seemed like everyone else already knew what they wanted to do or had already secured something that seemed like a great opportunity and so when you're you know your ignorant self like not knowing that uh, all these people are going through really the same things that you are and having the same feelings that you do um you think you're at a disadvantage and so that that you know my article and writing kind of like express that, that you feel really discouraged when a lot of people have these, this information going around and you think everyone's securing things. Um, so that was like kind of my headspace during the, um, end of my senior year. Right. Um, 
I was applying for a few jobs. I was applying for a few schools and master's programs. I had zero clue what I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, my brother and sister and I are, are really close, and um, we obviously were all were all graduating at the same time. And there were conversations between us about, you know, what are you doing next, and well, what what should I look into, and um, why are you doing that? And so uh, Matt at the time was already uh, doing this master's program that we both ended up doing together. Um, so he he sent me the link, and I, I was looking into it a little, and I was just like perusing what the information that was about it, but kind of neglected it after that. Um, and actually, it's really interesting. So I, I majored in something called management science and engineering at Stanford. That was what the major was called. Um, and the, the founders of the master's program at UCSB, the one that my brother was already committed to doing, uh, actually were from the MS&E department at Stanford. Of course um, they were. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah, small world. <laughs> and this is the technology management master's. Correct, at UCSB. So um, during the, I don't even know what month it was, but during spring quarter, um, my my major got an email. Um, sometimes they would send out job openings to the the email group of that major, just being like, hey, we know graduation's upon you, Um we obviously have seniors that are graduating and looking for jobs. Here are some job applications. But they actually sent out an email for this master's program. Um, so when I got that email, it was like, hey, uh, there's applications still open for this master's in technology management at UCSB. And when I immediately got that, I screenshotted it and sent it to my brother. And I was like, was this this thing that <laughs> you're doing? Like, this is a really um, interesting, like, small world type of, type of um, thing. So... Uh, when that happened, I started looking into into it more. I was like, all right, um, somebody's sending me an email that thinks my background lines up with what could really, um, you know, succeed at this master's program. Why don't I look more into this? Um, so I started doing that. Obviously, I uh, really liked the curriculum. Um, specifically, I really loved that the master's of technology management program had an internship experience with it because... Um, I didn't get the time to do that in college when I when I was, you know, being a student athlete. So um, a lot of the things seemed to line up with what I wanted. Um, it was only nine months. I could spend, you know, one extra year getting a, a master's degree. That seemed like a plus. Uh, so I ended up applying. And upon, you know, June, I decided to accept it and decided to come move and live in Santa Barbara with you and my brother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just so crazy because it, you know, those small little decisions can make such a big impact. And now here we are sitting and talking about it. But at the time, I think we probably were all in the same boat of what do we do next? You're feeling the same thing everybody else is. And I think some people have, you know, maybe they decide to pursue something before someone else, but that doesn't mean that they're not just as scared or as nervous as everyone. And that's just something that every college student has to go through. And I think the idea that is fed to a lot of us at our graduation ceremonies, when you have those keynote speakers come up and they tell you, you can do anything you want, you know, you can be this and you can be that. Well, possibly, maybe. You're not guaranteed everything. It's, it's not as easy as people make it sound. You're gonna have to start somewhere. And you realize that you didn't have the internship experience you maybe wanted, and this was something you could do to propel yourself. And it's an extra nine months. So you go through the entire you know, undergraduate degree 
having played sports the entire time you're doing it. So you're this student athlete combo now, you're just the student. So how was that transition? Was it a relief? Like, wow, I actually have all the time in the world to devote myself just to the curriculum and the education and this internship opportunity. Was that a, a huge relief off your back? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, at first, I think when I, you know, signed up for the program, signed on, accepted, I, I was like, wow, this is going to be a piece of cake. Like I used to have to juggle athletics with academics. Um, I have this entire athletic experience off, off my plate. I, I don't need to go to practices. I don't need to wake up early. I don't need to go to film and games and things like that. Um, I'm going to breeze by this, but what, you know, I did underestimated, I guess, is the master's part of it, right? It's a really intensive program. It's a nine month program that squeezes together a lot of curriculum and experiences and, um, group projects all in, you know, a really short amount of time. Um, so it was just a different experience. I would say like all of the, time management, um, abilities that I learned at Stanford, I had to apply almost the same amount at this master's program. Um, there was a ton of classes you had to juggle. There were a ton of group projects and scheduling with people. Um, you had your internship as well. So you're trying to get over to the company and you have, you know, stakeholders that are, are looking for something from you and your project group. So it was just a different form of time management, I would say. Um, it, was definitely nice to what you had said before like you have a lot more flexibility um you don't have these structured you need to be here at this time you actually have a lot of hours in the day to get a lot of things done so you can pick and choose when when you work best on what um so definitely a, a different experience but i would say um you know i still utilize the same things that I did at Stanford and in the master's degree, there's a lot of similarities. Um, and it was just a change for me. So now you have to then go through the same process again of, okay, nine months prior, you had to apply to the master's program. What am I going to do with my life? Where am I going? And now you have to actually try and find that job and secure that position. So what was that process like for you? And then how do you wind up at Procore doing what you're doing now? in product management. Um, and, I, and I think a lot can be said too for just the fact that you've done so much with the time management. Maybe that the sport itself didn't directly relate to something you did, you know, in practicality to the job, but your your mindset is clearly there. You don't look at things in a way that is overbearing. You're not nervous. You're very practical about how you approach stuff. So I think all of that wound up helping you get to where you want to go, but why does Procore then become the place you decide to pursue and stay here in Santa Barbara with their headquarters located in Carpinteria? Yeah. Um, another thing that really attracted me, attracted me to the management uh, technology management program was um, the aspect of career development during it. So um, there was a lot of focus in on how can we um, make these students or encourage these students to invest in discovering what they would want to do next, um, where their skill sets fit, uh, what type of role would um, help them grow. And so during that entire master's program, there were um, bits and pieces uh, 
and you know lectures and uh, meetings and uh, discovery sessions like encouraging networking to reach out in the broader Santa Barbara community to figure out like where you might fit into a job Um, so that was something that I clearly focused on investing in something that I never touched at Stanford I was fully academic athletics academics athletics Um, there was no let's do some career exploration and like go into the broader uh, community and start networking and seeing what a real working job is like. Um, so I think that was the the first uh, difference between the two, um, I guess, academic experiences for me. Um, and so through all that networking, uh, it's Santa Barbara's a small town, right? There's um, only so many tech companies and obviously technology management degree is is focused on the tech industry um so I got to meet a lot of um different roles and people from the tech companies in town um there were some alumni from the technology management program who worked at Procore who I reached out to um and ultimately the role that I ended up um uh, applying for and then accepting at Procore was was a good matchup with, I think, my skill set and also the timing of graduation. Um, so I, I applied for this role. It was a product manager resident program role, which um, interested me a lot because it was an on-ramp into product management. And product management is an interesting uh, discipline. It often requires product management experience to get a role of a product manager. Um, But that really leaves the question of, well, how do I get into it? If I haven't had that experience, how do I get those roles? Um, And this, this PMR program that Procore supports is, is something to like counteract that. Um, It wants to get uh, talented, um, capable people of doing that role into Procore and then mold them and mentor them into how they run product management at Procore. Um, So I think after talking to a few people um, in the larger Santa Barbara area, I determined like product management was something that was interesting to me. The PMR program, you know, matched up to what what my skill set was and, you know, where I wanted to be in in the next couple years. Um, So I ended up applying, ended up accepting and here I am today. (laughs) How was it for you going into an area that I would assume, you know, being in the tech industry, it's so crowded with people of of all kinds, very intelligent people, capable people. Like you said, you don't have that internship experience that maybe others had. You haven't actually done the product management on your side. And you're coming in and essentially leading a team of engineers, from my understanding, who are, number one, most likely older than you, and most likely men. So, I think there's a lot of women out there that, you know, would love to hear from you, especially from the collegiate athletic standpoint and say, okay, how did she do it? What was the workplace like for her? Was it more challenging? Was it more difficult? Did she have to compete for a higher pay grade? So there's a lot that goes into it. And although, you know, more so now than ever, women are getting degrees even more so than men, but I think there's still sort of this negative you know, connotation within the workforce about women being in charge and leading these teams. So did you find that at all challenging at the beginning? Obviously, Procore has given you a, an outstanding opportunity, but 
did you have to fight some of that? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first thing I'd say, like getting hired at Procore was, I think the, the least of the worries. Procore is super diverse and, uh, really like, um, prides itself on being inclusive and diverse in hiring. And also, um, when you're at Procore, I think, um, it's something that, you know, the entire nation is dealing with, uh, being able to make corporations and organizations as diverse and representative of all, um, people is is something that we'll only get better at but at least um getting into Procore it seems like they were very very transparent about hey we're working on being more diverse we're working on hiring people we're working on being more inclusive of the people that are already here um so that's something that like really stood out to me when I first got to Procore um I obviously can't speak to other organizations but I think Procore is definitely on the upper hand of that part um but yeah, it's true. I'm now on a team with um, all males. Um, we actually just hired another female, so that's you know exciting for me. Um, but at least existing today, it's it's all males, and um, we are an R and D team. So you know a lot of the stereotypical engineering um, male type of stereotypes exist, right? Um, I think it was a bit easier for me. I mean, I grew up as an athlete. I grew up with a brother. Like there's definitely a, I'm less girly than a lot of, a lot of other girls are. (laughs) Um, so I think it was a little easier for me to like come into this team and be able to connect and just, uh, you know, really like share, like connect on a like relationship level, personal and professional, and just be able to like gain trust of, you know, the entire team. But it's definitely difficult. Um, there's, I don't know. I think it comes with like a a little bit of responsibility on myself being part of a team to advocate, advocate for a different perspective or to think of something, um, so that you are all inclusive. Um, it's, it's a learning experience for sure. Um, I think if there's, you know, if there are, um, concerns from people that, you know, about joining a team, um, based on, all males or some stereotype that's maybe you don't fit the mold for. Uh, I think people should look at it as an opportunity um, to be able to like uh, pave a path for for other people that are coming behind you. Um, I guess that's a little bit what I did, um, but you know, I I think that that's really the only way you can do it um, to kind of back down and say, you know, I'm not going to join that team because I don't see anyone like me on it. Is it's kind of like um, and scapegoat type of thing so yeah so in layman's terms so the average person what is Procore if you could explain it (laughs) as easily as possible and what do you guys do and where do you think things are headed for the company sure um so I guess Procore works in the construction management software space but in layman's terms that doesn't (laughs) really mean much um you can imagine um a general contractor is building a large building. Um, Most people may think of a guy with a hard hat with a bunch of papers in his hands, uh, drawings, you know, a bunch of documents about how to build the building. We basically digitize all those papers and the workflows that exist between them. Um, So we're really helping, um, you know, the construction industry as a whole be able to put everything on a a software and not have to deal with outdated types of 
documents and uh, sources have kind of one single source of truth on iPads and um, desktops and mobile devices. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty compelling mission. Um, I get to work at a company that has a major impact on the lives of everyone. You know, everyone drives on roads that are constructed. Everyone works in buildings, lives in buildings. Um, it's kind of all around us. I think, you know, ever since I started working at Procore, um, I'd be driving on roads or, you know, walking around town and I'm constantly seeing construction everywhere now. Um, it's like, you know, something that you don't notice until, you know, it's on your mind. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a growing space. That's exciting for me. Um, I'm, you know, I've gotten an awesome opportunity at like a growing tech company that I feel like I'm growing a lot. I'm learning a lot. Um, it's a great place to start my career. Yeah, it's crazy because when I had first heard about it and we have, you know, multiple friends that work there. And then I also have a friend who was just here this weekend who has literally used the technology while he's been working. And when you think about tech companies, I think a lot of us out there go, okay, they're building something new and this is something we've never seen before. You guys went into the space, this cloud-based software space, and essentially specialized yourself in something that has been going on since the beginning of our civilization, building things. How do we get this done better? How do we, we manage it? So I think it's incredibly interesting that you guys weren't really trying to reinvent the wheel. You're just looking at something that is done every single day that I think the majority of us take for granted. You know, you and I right now we're inside a building this was done somehow somebody managed this somebody put the paperwork together but you guys are trying to make that process a lot easier and it's incredibly interesting because i think a lot of tech companies try to bite off more than they can chew and they want to get invested in various other platforms and take other avenues and try to get bigger and absorb so much whereas you guys are just trying to do something very niche and you're trying to be very good at it so is, do you like that? Do you? I mean, do you now appreciate construction more and, and that process and, and the average everyday working man out there with the hard hat? Totally. I mean, it it allows you to put yourself in, you know, a construction worker's shoes. It's a really difficult process without Procore or some other software today that solves their problems and makes their lives easier. Um, yeah, what you said about, you know, kind of disrupting an industry, it's, it's true. Um I think when I first got to Procore, there's a lot of information that's shared with you about the industry itself and how construction really works. And um, I remember something specifically was, uh, I think construction was the like second to last um, most adopted, adoptive industry of technology. And right below it was agriculture, which is, you know, farming, like there's very little technology and um, solutions to make farming and agriculture more more efficient and and easier for the lives of people who do it um so to be able to like look at you know a larger list of industries and and focus on the bottom and say like how can we make this huge huge industries life super like uh super or a lot more easier is is a really cool thing um i don't know i didn't know anything about construction before i started at procore um I'm happy I, I do now because it's it's it affects a lot of people's lives. There's a lot of people who work in construction and their their jobs are really really important to you know the everyone. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, exciting and compelling and I, I like it at least for now. <laughs> 
So you guys have been called by you know various tech writers out there a unicorn, essentially, and you are still privately held. Mm-hmm. And it is said as of December that you guys did another round of raising money through Tiger Global Management and now bringing that evaluation to $3 billion according to Procore. So you guys are up a billion from just two years prior when you had raised money and you continue to grow. And clearly, like you said, you're learning a lot. You're going in there every day and you feel like you're providing solutions. Is it ever daunting to know that you're a part of something that has become so big? Um, yeah, I would say so. Um, I think I'm... I I guess I would say that it's not a bad thing to have on your resume and especially for uh, for me like I think I'm at a great position to be able to contribute to what Procore is doing as a whole so that you know drives me to keep going Um, I don't I think the news and um, the things that are coming out about Procore um, growing and and being very successful is is more um, propelling for me. It's it's a cool thing to, you know, if you go on TechCrunch or whatever to see, you know, your CEO having an interview or um, a bunch of, I don't know, just different media and like articles coming out about Procore to say, wow, like, you know, I, I work there. They're like not all these companies get as much um, hype as Procore is getting right now. So it's, it's a cool experience. Um, I think now as... Uh, it's it's humbling sometimes as well. Um, you know, I'm lucky that I, I got the opportunity to work here and contribute to something that is, you know, really taking off and hit, hitting a home run, it seems. So, um, yeah, I just I think it's exciting, but also like just pushes me to keep going and contributing. Yeah, I'm definitely always jealous. Uh, your <laughs> office is much bigger than mine where I work. Uh, the amount of food you guys have is unbelievable. If you can think of, you know, kind of what the whole tech vibe is, you walk into Procore, you can sense that. You have various people in, you know, other realms of the of the job doing what they're doing. You have your department, and I've gone in there. It's beautiful. It's right on the ocean. You have you know, you can grab M&Ms and almonds and you can get a little waffle bar going <laughs> and there's a cold brew coffee. And I think you guys even have kombucha. We do. And there's yeah. beer. I mean, it's amazing. So, you know, do you do you like that? Are you more of an old school person? Do you try to not engage with that too much? Because I'm pretty old school, but that's just because I act like an old man. <laughs> um, so I'm used to walking in and, you know, I got to figure out a way to mer- make the coffee maker work. You uh, guys have this state of the art facility that is just spectacular. Um, so do you enjoy that? Yeah, I'd say I'm spoiled. <laughs> um, you do bring snacks home, which is always good. I do, yeah. Um, I, well, you know, the fact that the offices are located right on the beach is amazing. I'll have, you know, one-on-one conversations or, you know, uh, meetings that don't have to be in a conference room or on a computer, uh, just walking along the, the bluffs. Um it, the bluffs. The bluffs, the carpentry of bluffs. Um, <laughs> it, I, you know, you can move around in the office and go uh, sit in front of a window that just looks out at the Pacific Ocean, uh, the Channel Islands. It's an amazing place to be, for sure. Uh, in terms of all the, you know, snacks and things that are available for me, um, I definitely need to get better at um, willpower and not, you know, eating a ton of M&Ms and Mike and Ike's uh, every single day. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely nice. It's it's something that is definitely keeps employees happy. I think 
Crocor knows it. Um, it attracts people there. Uh, clearly, you've you visited the office. So you know how grand it is. Um, so yeah, I would say it's a it's a cool setup. <laughs> Have you considered getting a dog? Because if you walk onto this place, there are dogs everywhere. So has that crossed your mind? Uh, it has definitely crossed my mind. I've not uh, acted on it yet. Um, I don't know if I will or not. The uh, the whole ten to fifteen year commitment is discouraging me. It's a I think lot. It's a lot. It's and it's yeah. like having a kid. Who knows where I'm going to be in ten to fifteen years? I've if it was a you know two to three year commitment, I I might uh, get a gold fish. now. Yeah, now I've had enough fish in my life. So as we wrap up here in the article, once again, that's on CoinFlip. You say, you know, pro course. Procore was a workplace that was perfect for you and, and a former athlete. And you said that, you know, you used to have this mindset of our goal is going to be a national championship. And now you're switching into the workforce. But you do have a, a team goal in mind, which I think perfectly adheres to what you're used to. But you say that ownership is one of the values of them, optimism and openness. So what exactly did you mean by that? And why do you value these core principles that Procore has? Yeah, um... So Procore does, we have these three O's and they're ownership, openness, and open, optimism. optimism. <laughs> you know them better than I do. <laughs> I have it um, right here in front of me. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, it's something that uh, Procore preaches very heavily. Um, obviously, they're large kind of like umbrella words, um, but what they mean at their core is really that like they uh, Procore expects their employees to um, be able to take responsibility for um, things that might not have an owner um, and carry that over the finish line so what inherently that means is like you have the autonomy to to take on that responsibility and for me that was something that's very um, in line of how I've operated in the past clearly like you hold your own fate as um a a soccer team and a collegiate soccer team as a player you're fighting for your spot you take ownership of uh, what you need to do to get better and win and like support your team so in this sense it's it's transferable like you are working um towards a larger goal to you know make Procore the construction management software of choice. And in that scope of your team, you're responsible for if you if you have information and you know about um, uh, something that you should be doing and Procore as an organization should be doing, it's, it's your responsibility to take that on and make sure it doesn't like slide by. Um, and then additionally, like openness and optimism, like these are things that, you know, happen more on a daily basis. Like you are expected to you know have a positive outlook and you know don't bring negativity into the office Uh, negativity is is obviously beneficial sometimes but overall it's we're all working towards the same goal we're all on the same team Um, we should be you know very optimistic about where we're going what we're doing Um, and I just felt like when I joined Procore these things were very genuine Uh, they weren't just plastered on a wall to be plastered on a wall uh, they were, you know, really lived by the people who were hired at Procore and uh, who work for them today. And so that was something that kind of spoke to me and just kind of like sealed the deal. Um, it And I definitely think um, as of today, it, it's, it still shapes Procore. It's it's what 
I enjoy most because it allows me to like grow and learn. Um, if, if it was some other corporation that was more top down or, you know, just get these tasks done and go home, I think I would feel differently. Um, but it's, it's the truth. So it's cool. Yeah. You've definitely found, I think, a sense of purpose in your work. And I think all of us are trying to do that to wake up and know that something you're a part of, you're either providing a solution, you're helping someone, you're doing something that you're excited to get up and out of bed for. And the fact that you are helping the everyday working people, construction companies, kind of that blue collar mentality, but laying that in with this research and development that you're doing is incredibly interesting. And I think you could provide a resource for so many other people out there that are former D1 athletes that are about to approach graduation and they're terrified and nervous and discouraged just as you were and to go out and say, look, everything's going to be fine. You're going to figure it out. Start working, get your feet wet, go out there and do what you need to do. So I think you're an incredibly valuable resource to those people and you have a certain sense of practicality with it that a lot of people probably lack. So that's probably coming from the fact that you played on these big soccer teams and you guys were always competing for something on the way out um and you still do all this but you and i share a guilty pleasure (laughs) that we'll we'll close up with and we've had all this great tech talk and this stanford soccer team so what are your thoughts on the bachelorette right now (laughs) but meg and i watch the bachelorette every monday and it's the stupidest show i've ever watched (laughs) in my life but i can't look away yeah how do you feel it is a guilty pleasure um I don't know how much I'm enjoying this season. It's hard to, it's hard to, um, yeah, keep keep up with it and pay attention. I do have a soft spot for Jed. Jed. I think he's, <laughs> I think he's gonna win it all. Um, yeah, he, he, yeah, he's my guy. But well, uh, otherwise, I, I'm I don't not really I, sure. We never liked Hannah B from the previous <laughs> season with The Bachelor. And basically, what happens on this show, if you guys aren't familiar, there are. 30 men competing for one woman, and then all these guys end up bashing each other, being insecure, getting in fights. It's really ridiculous, and they all look pretty much the same. Um, but on the show last night, the Jed guy, the one who you like, yeah. they go and meet with the Boston Celtics, and they talk with Jalen Brown, and Hannah B. straight up asks him, <laughs> what would you do? Mind you, this guy's 22 years old, plays basketball. He has no experience on this whatsoever, and why the hell would you take advice from Jalen Brown on how to handle this show but regardless I just it feels forced and it's comical it it is is. and it I think I this sounds awful but when I watch it it's like oh I feel so much better about myself today because I'm not engaging in this (laughs) ridiculousness but for I don't think you'd ever do this show obviously and if you did I've always said you could go on and troll everybody no I think I don't know I I don't think I could do it freeze up and just yeah I'm too shy yeah, it's not it's not what it used to be. I think it's definitely changed. They go for reactions on Twitter and they want to get people in fights and she's just not that interesting. But it is a guilty pleasure we share and, and it's only because maybe we need something to dumb ourselves down for a little bit. When yeah. We from work. Yeah, we'll we continue. Watch Jeopardy watching. though. That's good. You're right. That yeah, for, that for stimulation. Ups our our smartness factor. Well, Meg, thank you so much for joining us. I think you have a certain mindset and outlook that a lot of people could benefit from and with that we will be back. In the near future, but for now, Megan Turner, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. And everyone, that is the Nolan Knows Podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe if you want to hear more. We are on Apple Podcasts now as well. Thanks. 